Welcome to episode 43 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. This week, John will be reviewing a video of an interview with psychologist Matthias Desmond, which he highly recommends, by the way. It's about the psychology of the pandemic. Desmond helps explain how and why the common COVID narratives persist, even in the face of overwhelming scientific evidence contradicting them. And no, it's not all about the mainstream media. A lot of it is about us, we the people, the society, and the way we are and the way we were prior to the COVID hype. As well, we're going to discuss the conversion therapy ban legislation recently passed, unanimously, by our virtue-signaling federal politicians in Ottawa. But we'll open this meeting with new Justice Centre business. John, over to you. Well, four Alberta doctors are suing Alberta Health Services, represented by the Justice Centre on the issue of natural immunity. Uh, Kevin, you and I have talked about this before, how the natural immunity is stronger and longer lasting. We have that from a a huge uh, Israeli study, which I think had over 700,000 participants. And the people that had had COVID and recovered uh, were stronger and were less vulnerable to the Delta variant than those who had been double vaccinated. So now we're taking this issue to court, uh, once again, forcing the government to produce the science because Lord knows they won't do it at a news conference and they certainly won't do it when receiving correspondence. Uh, but when it's a court action, uh, they're between a rock and a hard place appropriately. And they actually, they actually have to show the science to back up their case. And they, they hate doing that because their evidence is pretty weak. So we have Dr. Nader Jamha a specialized orthopedic surgeon for complex foot and ankle reconstruction and trauma cases. And uh, he says, given that an overwhelming majority of studies prove that individuals with naturally acquired immunity have, A, been shown to have equal or better immunity than a vaccine-induced immunity, and B, are very rarely reinfected with COVID-19, and C, are unlikely to transmit COVID-19, there is no medical or scientific benefit to myself or those around me with this vaccine passport policy that that requires even people that have recovered from COVID to be double injected. Uh, Next, we have Dr. Blaine Atchin, who held the position of Chief of Cardiac Anesthesia at the renowned Mazankowski Alberta Health Institute until his employment was terminated for not complying with the AHS, Alberta Health Services, vaccine mandate. And Dr. Atchin says, quote, the medical system in Alberta is struggling the recent treatment of healthcare workers in this province, in addition to the current Alberta Health Services policies and management, is driving physicians out of Alberta and will further exacerbate an already dire situation. Uh, Alberta Health Services' last-minute amendments and extensions to the policy caused confusion and scheduling problems at the hospital. <laughs> this is just sick, right? Here's, oh, yeah, here's our beloved, room. loving, caring health authority yeah. creating a negative impact on staff and on patients. And uh, the doctor says, my first departure, my first departure will invariably cause additional delays in the operating room, will cause harm to patients in Alberta. So these vaccine policies are actually harming patients. Third doctor is uh, Gert Grobler. He was once the personal doctor to Nelson Mandela in South Africa, Nelson Mandela and his family. And he now practices in Medicine Hat. And he states, quote, Treating and reducing COVID-19 severity ought to be the goal of medical doctors, and it ought to be part of the strategy used by Alberta Health Services. <laughs> Imagine that. We've been saying that. <laughs> Treating and reducing COVID-19 severity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Tyler May is one of two doctors in the underserved community of Manning, Alberta, uh, north of Peace River. And uh, he is still allowed to work in the hospital, isn't that kind of Alberta Health Services, but not his clinic. And he says the Alberta Health Services decision is completely arbitrary and absurd as the facilities are intimately linked and it provides another example of Alberta Health Services putting ideology and policy over patient care, much like the vaccine mandate itself. 
Uh, that reminds me of, of another doctor that we've discussed previously, Dr. Daniel Nagasse, who right. was working in rural Alberta. Uh, rural Alberta, like, like much of rural Canada, is underserviced when it comes to doctors, nurses, and medical treatments. And Alberta Health Services has, has chosen to – they don't have the authority to remove him from practicing medicine. That would be up to the college – uh, but Alberta Health Services has basically terminated Dr. Nagase's employment because he successfully used ivermectin to treat patients. And Lord knows we don't we don't want any success with uh, ivermectin to be messing up the government narrative. Something very wrong at Alberta Health Services. It's just wicked. Uh, so the Justice Center is representing these four doctors. The hearing is on Tuesday, December 14th. And... Um, uh, our expert witness is Dr. Joel Kettner, former chief public health officer for Manitoba. He's prepared an expert report. Uh, this is all on our website. You can read the expert report, which includes a review of how major public health organizations have compared protection by natural immunity from previous COVID infection with protection by vaccination. He states in his report, quote, I've been unable to find relevant data or clear rationale for policies pertaining to the exclusion of healthcare workers because of their vaccination status, especially since there has been consistent evidence of equivalent, if not superior, protection by natural immunity resulting from previous COVID infection. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in court on December the 14th. And uh, government, you know, if they've got all the science, it should be pretty easy for them to walk into court and just slam us, absolutely trump us. Make us Maybe look they're like say they're not ready again. Oops. Oh yeah, oh, oops. Oops. yeah. We need we need we need eight months to come up with the science to produce in court. I don't think uh, they're going to get away with that. I, I don't mean, think they're even going to attempt that. They'll they'll come up with something. Maybe they'll recycle something. Maybe they'll uh, say that. Uh, maybe they'll say that, that Dina Dina Hinshaw is is too busy saving lives to uh, to attend a cross examination. Uh, but she's not too busy to go on holidays. I guess that'll yeah, be the government's right. position again. Christmas holidays, everybody's off. Everybody's out of the city. Sorry, can't have a hearing. <laughs> Anyways, oh, uh, we also should mention that uh, on the website, you'll find a notice about tickets being dropped. Uh, there's more of those going out of the way. So that's that's good news. Uh, why do you think they're being dropped, John? <laughs> because our lawyers tell the Crown prosecutors, if you want to go ahead and take this to trial, we will subpoena the chief medical officer of the province and we will cross-examine her and we're going to force you to produce all of the scientific evidence to support the health order as based in science. And then the Crown prosecutors typically say, oh, um, okay, well, we'll, we'll just uh, stay the charges or drop the charges. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you can check that out at jccf.ca under news releases. And also, there was a little bit of good news regarding a lung transplant patient. Uh, it, why don't you just give a slowdown on that? So we represent uh, Ms. Annette Lewis, age, age 57. Uh, she is in Alberta, and she has idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which affects both of her lungs. And she's been ill for over two and a half years. She's on a waiting list for a double lung transplant, her current lung capacity is 35%. However, the health authorities have told her, unless you get double injected, we're going to uh, possibly kill you by taking you off the waiting list. So this is the kind of threats and intimidation that the government is using. We now have a, uh, we, we wrote a legal demand letter in September, and uh, we now have a temporary agreement from the doctors to put her back onto the waiting list pending a court hearing. So the doctors have at least uh, temporarily, uh, we filed a, an injunction application for an interim order uh, to prevent the lung transplant program team from removing Annette Lewis from the transplant list and from enforcing the requirement that she receive the, the COVID vaccine prior to her lung transplant surgery. Which vaccine? Shot one, <laughs> two, three, booster? Well, Four, they five, want her. Six, they want her to have what is currently the two shots. But I, I've warned people. I'll mention it again. If you think if you think you're fully vaccinated with two shots, think again, because in a few months the government's going to say that your vaccine passport is not valid until you get your third shot, and then your fourth shot, and your fifth shot. Mm -hmm. And th this even 
Well, and people will be faced with the same choice that the unvaccinated are now facing, namely, are you going to refuse your third shot and become a second-class citizen, or are you going to uh, comply with this government pressure and get the third shot? And as we have mounting evidence, I'm seeing more and more of this every day, mounting evidence of vaccine harms. Just had a friend, uh, an email from a friend in, in Airdrie. My, friends, uh, my friend in Airdrie, Alberta, says, quote, I'm looking after a friend who is in hospital with gallbladder issues. This is the third person I know who has been hospitalized with sudden gallbladder issues after getting vaccinated. End of quote, says my friend. Yes, that is anecdotal. This is not a widespread scientific study, but it's these kinds of reports that are just popping up all over the world. We've seen the uh, strong, fit, healthy, young athletes uh, suddenly collapse while playing their their basketball, their soccer, their tennis, uh, etc. And so there is growing evidence of vaccine harms, and uh, you know, sadly, that's what it might take to turn the tide. Is when you get. A certain number of people that say, I'm not going to get my third shot uh, because of all these vaccine harm problems uh, that are appearing. And of course, as we know, COVID is less dangerous to you than driving a car unless you are over 70 and already in very poor health with you know, cancer, heart disease, emphysema, diabetes, and, and, and other health conditions. So COVID is simply not a threat to younger and healthier people. And so it appears the evidence is growing that it's safer for the individual, for for younger and healthier people, it's simply a safer personal choice to not get the vaccine. Whereas, you know, I support the the freedom of of everybody to get the vaccine. And I think uh, it could be a good choice for, uh, for people that are elderly and sick who have more to fear from COVID than they do from vaccine harms. But again, it should be a personal individual choice. Right. Oh, yes. And now we'll get on to the main topic where you can explain why everybody is acting so weird. This was uh, <laughs> the video of uh, Matthias Desmet that you had sent to me. I found this quite interesting. Go ahead, John. Tell me what you thought was interesting in this. Well, everything. This. Um, okay. All right. Uh, on to it, the next topic. <laughs> It's gotten uh, it's gotten over 160,000 views already. So, Dr. Matthias Desmet is from Ghent University. Dutch is my first language. In Dutch, you would say Ghent University. Although the Belgians themselves, they have a soft G, so they would say Ghent University, and we would say Ghent University. But it's a it's a city in northern Belgium. Lovely city. I had the very good fortune of, of being able to visit it once upon a time. Beautiful medieval downtown core, gorgeous churches, uh, nice canals running through it. Okay, sorry, off topic. So <laughs> Dr. Desmond talks about mass formation and mass psychosis and crowd formation and mass hypnosis. And he uses those four terms somewhat uh, interchangeably. And so so I'm going to go through my notes and we can just cover this off quickly. I do encourage, I, I believe, Kevin, you'll be posting the link. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he says, he ta- and he talks about totalitarianism, which is a subject that has always interested me. I did a great deal of reading and research on it in my political science undergraduate back in the 1980s. Uh, Hannah Arendt is, a, uh, is one of a uh, fantastic author, and he refers to her and um, so he was he was shocked with, uh, you know, that lockdowns got brought in. Uh, Dr. Neil Ferguson said in March of 2020 that tens of millions of people would die. But very early on, he started to look at the actual data and looking at the government's data, right? You don't, you can disprove the government's case very easily using only government data. You don't need to go to some uh, conspiracy website I was going to say, the, when I saw this thing, I, I, I thought to myself, well, I know why John likes this guy, because he did exactly the same thing John did, which was listen to the rhetoric, then go look at the numbers. Okay, so same trajectory, I guess. So as, as just one example, uh, Professor Desmet points out that Neil Ferguson said that there would be 80,000 COVID deaths in Sweden, and the actual number proved to be about 6,000. 
So, you know, just slightly off. And of course, Neil Ferguson has a a track record on uh, wildly inaccurate predictions, uh, you know, out out by a hundredfold or by a thousandfold or out by tenfold on the uh, the bird flu and on the uh, the, the BSE, the, yeah. the, the go-to panic guy. Yeah, the go-to panic guy. I, yeah. I do not comprehend why he has any credibility left. I don't know why any political Because they needed panic, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. Needed, wanted, yeah. And so he was just surprised. And um, so he talks about the four preconditions before we get into mass psychosis. And the first one, and he says, these were all very strong in 2019 and 2018, 2017. In the years prior, we have a societal problem. First point, lack of social connection. People feel lonely to the point where uh, in the United Kingdom, some years ago, they, they appointed a you know minister, minister of loneliness or minister against loneliness or minister to address loneliness. Because mm-hmm. this is such a big uh, social problem in society. And of course, we all know, um, most of us have had experiences where even in a crowd, you can feel lonely. It's not about uh, being by yourself, but it's that lack of social connection. Second one, lack of meaning. 40% of people in, in one survey found their job completely meaningless, completely, totally meaningless. And they're just going through the motions like zombies. And there's a lack uh, that life does not make sense. And he says that's been growing in the last 200 years. And he attributes it to a mechanistic view of man in the world. Uh, I'm going to research more by what he means by that, a mechanistic view of man. I think it's it's like that we're all like machines. And that that Mechanisms, is... Mechanisms, yeah. It's okay. a growing... Um, soulless it, beings. Soulless, yeah. When you think about these soul-destroying lockdown measures and the politicians and chief medical officers very blithely dismiss any concern about mental health and uh, psychological well-being. So so there there's a philosophical underpinning to it that he says has been growing in the last in the last 200 years. Well, in a in a way they have a point because you know why worry about all this uh these psychological harms when they were present before we had the lockdowns. So that's Yeah, I think it'd be hard to It'd be hard to dispute that the the lockdowns have greatly exacerbated those problems. But yeah. So there's a lack of meaning and that people feel less and less that they can make sense of the world. The third one is a high level of free-floating anxiety. And this would be a generalized anxiety where people feel anxious, but they can't put their finger on it. So it's not that you can say, well, I feel anxious, you know, because my daughter is sick, because I have a job interview tomorrow, because my boss might fire me, because I can't pay my bills. Those anxieties, in a way, are easier to cope with because you can kind of talk it out, talk it, talk it over, talk it through, think it out. But it's a generalized anxiety that is not really attached to anything. People just feel anxious. He said that in... Uh, in Belgium, 20% of adults are diagnosed with anxiety disorders. And he says in a country of 9 million people only, 300 million doses of antidepressants are prescribed to Belgians. Now, maybe those numbers are higher than in other countries, but I think the point is, uh, the point is there. And uh, he says animals a- animals have an easier time of making sense of this world. They don't seem to have these problems. Uh, if if animals do feel anxious, it's more directly related to you know lack of food or water. But we people are uh, are different, um, and uh, so we have a hard time making sense of the world. And uh, uh, the fourth item is free floating aggression and frustration that's generalized. So people feel anxious. They also feel aggressive and frustrated. And so they are looking for a target. So along comes the media and government and presents all of these disconnected, lonely, anxious, aggressive, frustrated people, prevents them with a target that they can latch on and figure out, ah, now I'm going to link up my anxiety with COVID because now there's a specific uh, supposedly very threatening problem that I can link my my anxiety to as well as my anger and frustration. And a new social bond is created that connects people because now we're all in this together and we're all fighting what we all know to be 
the number one evil, uh, the only evil really is, is COVID. And then people get so fixated. It's like they're hypnotized. The only thing that matters is COVID. Uh, this kind of mirrors, yes. it mirrors some of the things I've written about in the last 20 months in my columns about how these chief medical officers absolutely don't give a darn about public health. Like, you know, you can cancel surgeries and cancel cancer screenings and you can create eating disorders in kids because they're taken away from their soccer and hockey and martial arts and you can destroy joy and make it illegal for people to have a nice big wedding. Uh, you can traumatize people psychologically by preventing them from attending the funeral of a loved one. And none of this matters because we're fighting COVID. Right. Well, they think they're doing something good. That was one of the things that he did point out. You know, it's not all deception. It's not all conspiracy. It's not all corruption. These people actually believe they're doing something good. And even even the people that are running it, they're like the people at the bottom. They found something that they can latch onto that gives them identity, that gives them purpose. A sense of meaning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose. So now people mm. that were without that 21 months ago, they and maybe they felt anxious in part because they, they had a lack of a sense of meaning in their lives, a lack, lack of purpose. Well, now they've got... They've got a cause, you know, and right. people love to have a cause to um, to work on and to make sacrifices for. And so he says there's a mental intoxication with the lockdowns that allow some people, and he says it's about 30% are part of this collective hypnosis. Right. Another 50% are just going along to get along and they're not true believers, but they just don't want the hassle and the confrontation. So they just put on their mask when they go into a store because they just want to get on with their lives and get their shopping done, but they think it's garbage. They don't believe in it, or maybe they're not totally disbelieving, but they don't really buy into it. I mean, to put a mask over your mouth to keep out COVID is like uh, erecting a chain link fence to keep out the mosquitoes. Uh, quite literally, it's useless. Uh, but people who, uh, who people who know that masks are useless or people who doubt the uh, efficacy of masks, 50% of the population is going along with it. Only 30% are true believers. And they got another uh, 20% whom uh, Jason Kenney, Alberta's premier, would describe as unhinged conspiracy theorists who are like uh, Professor Matthias Desmond, who are watching this kind of going, uh, this doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> right. On so many levels, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not rational. Yeah, he used the word hypnotize quite a bit. Hypnotize, yeah. mass hypnosis. They he, talked he, about how many people are susceptible to hypnosis. I was quite surprised that he said it was like up to 80% can be susceptible to it. And he claims in his video, and I've, I've not looked into this, that somebody who is fully hypnotized, you can actually perform surgery on them and they won't feel it. Now, I, I don't know if he meant that as a... General, I, I, he probably did not intend that as a generalization for all hypnosis on all people. Mm -hmm. uh, but he says that it, it, it can be so powerful that uh, you can cut people open and do surgery on them if they get into the the right state of, of hypnosis for that. Uh, so he talks about a narrow field of attention. So you focus on only one part of reality. And this is, again, we've had this fixation the last 21 months where the only thing that matters in life is stopping the spread of COVID and nothing else matters. And so people, the 30% of the population that is hypnotized, uh, when you present them with a true story of some young man, uh, there's a case in Ontario reported on some months ago, who was getting his life back together. He had a, he had a drug addiction, but he had a job and he had his social supports and he had the gym and he was connected to people. And then along came our caring and sharing politicians and, and uh, public health officials. And they killed his job. They killed his, uh, his connections. They killed his social support network. They killed his opportunity to go to the gym, to work, to earn money, to be self-sufficient. And he ended up drug overdosing. He went back into his addiction. Well, if you present a story like that to the 30% who are hypnotized, they don't care. Uh, they're, they're hypnotized. They, they can't, they, you know, well, uh, that's unfortunate, but you know, we got to fight COVID, whatever it takes. So we mm -hmm. get these idiotic, beyond idiotic, pure evil initiatives to vaccinate children 
against a virus that does not threaten the children, that children do not spread. And, well, let's all inject them with this vaccine that's not been subjected to long-term safety testing. I mean, this is insanity. And you've, oh, yeah, got, you've got parents voluntarily like crazy now too. They're parents are voluntarily, us. yeah, exactly. You've got oh yeah, you've got the big the, the big billboards and uh, government Even declares in my email, it. Help children be children again, says the Canadian government, linked to a big page on vaccinating children. That's their uh, yeah, well. That, that's yet another lie campaign. because we've seen we've seen all over the world that even when you get a high vaccination rates, is the government lifting lockdowns? No. At yeah. Gibraltar in particular, 100% vaccination rate or very close to it. 120% vaccination rate if you include all the Spaniards that uh, come into Gibraltar to work. And the government has said uh, no indoor gatherings at Christmas time. So you yeah. got 100% vaccinations. And, you know, Israel, everybody's double vaccinated. Are they lifting lockdowns? Uh, no, not really. Now you've got to get a third shot to, uh, to get to keep your vaccine passport up to date. So let children be children again. That's very clever, right? Because it's suggesting that if we get the 100% vaccination rate, including all the children, yeah, I would, in a few months, I predict they'll, they'll be pushing it on newborns. You know, newborn babies got to get injected oh, yeah. we with know an that, experimental that's where vaccine. Wants to go. Yeah, we know that. Absolutely. And so but there's this, there's this false promise that yeah. we'll all get back to normal. And we've seen this movie before. Uh, particularly in Alberta, where uh, the the premier said that we're all going to get back to normal again. Uh, you can actually have a wedding with you know more than ten people if you want. Uh, more than ten people are allowed to go into uh, to, to attend a funeral service, and we've got our bars and pubs, and we can all go back to our basketball and soccer and hockey, and you know we can sing in church. Everything will get back to normal if we all get vaccinated. And no, that was a big lie. And so if the Canadian government says now that by vaccinating children, we're all going to get back to normal, uh, that's another big lie. Well, we know that that is Health Canada's uh, modus operandi right now. Anyways, uh, back to the video. The, the interesting thing was his solution, uh, he made it sound pretty hopeless for most of it because of this uh, high factor of hypnotization or, you know, mass formation. But, you know, his solution was basically keep going. If you're one of the 20% that's speaking out, you have to keep going. You have to keep speaking out. You can't just give up because eventually all totalitarian regimes collapse, fail, fall in on themselves. It can take a long time, but they all fail. In fact, he's got a book coming out in January about, uh, about totalitarianism. That was one of the things that uh, he'll be promoting that is Matthias. Uh, the psychology of totalitarianism yeah. coming out in January. He's he's already written it in Dutch, and now it's getting translated. Um, it's on my list. Yeah. So he uh, he he says that for the thirty percent who are who are hypnotized, there's no cognitive or emotional impact of collateral damage, and uh, what's not in the narrative has no impact. So thirty percent of the population is going to be absolutely impervious to to any kind of facts. And even a, a true and uh, heart-touching, tear-jerking video is not going to touch them because it's against the narrative. So, you know, I give the example of the young man who uh, overdosed on, on fentanyl or some other drug because the health authorities took away his sense of meaning and purpose and his social connections and his employment and his ability to support himself. You know, you can talk about that, but for 30% of the people it's just not going to make any impact because it's got to be the narrative, the narrative or nothing. Right. There's one interesting fact about that 30%. And even that 50%, they, he said that intelligence doesn't matter. Yeah. This is what is so interesting because we wonder, how can these doctors be going along with it? Well, they are subject to the same types of conditions that the rest of us are. And Many intelligent people is going along with this thing, and they believe it right up to the right up to the hilt, you know. So, yeah, intelligence doesn't make any difference. It's not a matter of you know being a dummy and being fooled. No, some people have bought right into it, and they are very intelligent. Yeah. So the the silver lining on the cloud, which you mentioned, is that the the, hip, the hypnosis becomes less deep slowly. Um, when people speak out, and he says, speak out sincerely, uh, honestly, and uh, respectfully, 
And of course, that's uh, that's always a helpful reminder. You'll, you'll get a better hearing. It's a law I've or a rule I've not always followed, but I I strive to follow it. Uh, if you speak respectfully, honestly, and sincerely, and no violence, to, because that feeds their narrative. Any violence at all will be yeah. uh, the, the media will twist that into. So the media is definitely part of the thirty percent. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's well, no, no. I mean, in the mainstream, in the in the along. so-called mainstream media, the government-funded media. Go ahead. Well, I see some of them are going along to get along. I mean, I've worked in the media, and I know what happens. You can submit a story, and by the time it comes out the other end, it's nothing like what you wrote. So, you well, that's, know, I mean, yeah, that's true too. Sorry, know, I should so. say the message. The message that the media put out every day reinforces the hypnosis of the. Thirty percent, right? But I, I also agree with you that yeah, not everybody working in the media buys into this agenda because I yeah. mean, some of the most of the rules are so stupid and nonsensical that that it's pretty hard not to not to see through it. Yeah, and he did mention you know those other things that we talked about you know whether it's corruption or power mongering or things like that they do exist you know they they still exist so some can be susceptible to those uh, enticements as well. But in the main, he's talking about the belief and why we sustain the belief. You know, it's not because of those those minor things. They might be used at the very top to control people, but in general, the mass formation is due to sincere belief. And yeah, and that, that, that's sincere. He says the uh, the government leaders that are violating our rights and freedoms are totally hypnotized by their own ideology. And they don't really believe their own words, but they're convinced that their actions are leading to a utopia. And this is the shift away from democracy to technology. And he talks about how reality is a complex system and it cannot be controlled and it's unpredictable. And he says that this is this has been scientifically proven for many, many years. So I want to know, why didn't we just get him on the show? Okay. Duh. Okay. I'll, I'll we'll do that. Maybe. Maybe we'll give it a go. But, so he uh, says he says the experts know that their measures don't work, but they believe in their overall approach. And there's even a willingness to sacrifice or kill to make their ideology real. And this is how totalitarianism functions. They make reality conform to the ideology. So, for example, in the Nazi ideology, one of their beliefs was that the, the Slavs, the Russians, the Poles, the Bulgarians, all the peoples of Eastern Europe, the, the Slavs are inferior to the Germans. Uh, the Slavs are stupid. There are no intellectuals there. So when the Germans conquered Poland, they murdered many, many university professors and they tried to murder the, the Polish intelligentsia. And then that proved their point that there are no intellectuals in Poland. They're all dumb. Well, right. yeah, after you've killed as many of them as possible, well, guess what? You've got, you've got fewer intellectuals than, than what you did previously. So there's ah. always that effort to make reality conform to the ideology Right, and that actually goes to one of the justifications of the leaders as well. They may not believe in the specifics of what they're saying, but they believe in what they're doing, and therefore they will countenance telling lies, believing it to be in the greater good. Their purpose is good, so they can uh, they can do whatever is necessary. Now, the really scary part, the most negative part of the video, but it needs to be said, he says that, when all public opposition, when all opposition is erased in the public square, such that you have just a complete sign, there's no, there's no disagreement, there's no opposition. When you get to that point, then the it becomes much much worse because then the state turns into an absolute monster and starts murdering everybody. And uh, you know we we've seen this in Nazi Germany and in in uh, Cambodia under Pol Pot and. China under Mao and Soviet Union under Stalin. So here, actually, because of the internet, we are in a stronger position because I think it's going to be difficult for – it's harder today than in the the 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because of the internet, it's harder to completely silence all dissent unless all the governments in the world unanimously all agree on, on some way to to totally completely censor the internet, and I'm no expert in technology, but I uh, operating on the assumption that that's hard to do. <laughs> well, they've done it uh, 
to a certain great extent in China anyway. That appears to be the model that uh, our new totalitarians seem to want to follow. So he says, when we speak out, the hypnosis becomes less deep. And then a very, uh, very interesting comment. Uh, he says, men think in herds and men, men go mad in herds, but men recover one by one. Of course, when I say men, I mean people. So mm-hmm. it's like we have to patiently bring people over one by one by one and gradually take them out of their hypnosis is what the professor suggests. And he says more expensive. This is this is probably the most crucial point in the whole thing. It's more expensive to speak up later than it is now. If you think the price of speaking up now is high because you're going to, I don't know, you know, your sister won't invite you over to dinner anymore or whatever. If you think this is a high price now, it's a much higher price if we remain silent and things get worse the price gets higher. And I think Nazi Germany is an example of that as well, that, uh, you know, in, in in the 20s and early 30s, there was still a space there to object to the Nazis and speak out against them. Once the Nazis took over, then the price became very high. It became imprisonment, torture, death, if you were going to actively and publicly speak out against the regime, you could expect to be arrested and thrown in prison. And so it's a much higher price to pay later on. Whereas, you know, earlier on, it might feel like a high price to have some of your family members dislike you for speaking out, but that's a lower price to uh, to pay than um, imprisonment, torture, and death. Yes, bullet to the back of the head. I don't know if this is a good time to pose this question that you were uh, talking about uh, just prior to the podcast, but um, you did suggest that I should ask you if you had any interesting conversations lately that might be related to this topic. Well, yes. Um, Just in the past week, I had a really interesting conversation with a University of Calgary professor who shall remain nameless because... You know, it was a it was a private conversation, but I, I think I can talk about the contents. And uh, we were talking about economics and politics, and is Jason Kenney going to survive the leadership review vote that's coming up? And talking about you know different issues. And um, I I shifted gears and I asked him. So he's a very intelligent man and seems a very nice and kind man and thoughtful and uh, you know deep thinker and. Uh, I, I said, um, well, what do you think of the University of Calgary expelling students who do not want to get two of these vaccine shots? And he said, well, you know, I, 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 think, I, think, I think it's reasonable. Or I think it's fair, something like that. And I asked him the question, do you believe that the vaccines stop the spread of the virus? I get this blank stare on his face like he had never really thought about it. And he kind of said, well, I, I guess so. You know, right. he, obviously, with you tell by that response, he hadn't actually thought through, does the vaccine stop the spread of COVID? And I said, well, did you know that the vaccine manufacturers have themselves stated publicly, and anybody can look this up on the internet, publicly stated that the vaccines do not stop the spread? He says, no, I didn't know that. And I, I said, apart from that, you've got, you know, Gibraltar with the 100% vaccination rate. You've got Ireland, 94% vaccination rate. And, and in all these places, they still have COVID and it's it's spreading and some people are getting sick and some people are dying. And he was just shocked. Like he'd never thought about. So here on the one hand, he's saying, you know, he thinks it's okay to have vaccine passports and to have this second class citizenship and to have students expelled from the university where he works for not getting vaccinated. He, he, he's okay with that. And then the linchpin question, the one that really matters, that justify that would, or I would say could, you could justify uh, vaccine passports if the vaccine truly stopped the spread. You'd have an arguable case. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk. I think there would still be uh, a debate to be had e- even at that point. But at least you'd have a really strong argument on your side. And you know, and well, and and this is I'm trying to categorize this poor fellow or this nice guy that you say you, uh, you know, is a nice guy. Uh, is he at 30 percent? Is he one of the 50 percent? Well, it sounds like he's kind of hovering between the two. You know, he, he just hasn't. He's probably somewhere on the spectrum. He's not. Yeah, he's not a fervent adamant. I mean, the fact that he's willing to have a discussion about it. If you're yeah. really part of the 30 percent, 
you'd start to get kind of angry and defensive the moment somebody asked you, right. do you believe that the vaccine stops the spread? The 30% would just be, well, of course it does. Well, even if it doesn't, we have to, we all have to get with the program. We got to do whatever we can. We got to save ourselves from COVID because COVID is an unusually deadly killer and it's going to kill everybody. So, you know, like don't, you know, this is no time to think. <laughs> right. right. Well, 21 months into it, a... you know, no time to do any thinking or analysis as we're, as we're in the 21st month. Well, that might be a bit of a caricature, but yeah. Okay. I mean, this maybe is... that's an exaggeration, but the 30% yeah. wouldn't even actually have. So he's probably in with the 50% that are, you know, go along to get along. Right. But you can see how it, it's not necessarily, a, you know, a cut and dry category. That's all I was trying to say. There's kind of like gradations in there. So, yes, I think that's the conversation you wanted me to ask you about. It was a leading question, but I guess we got, I, you know, I did my job. And the second, the second one's not <laughs> worth repeating because it was, it was pretty similar. It was like, mm. you know, what do you think of the vaccine passports? Well, it's probably necessary. It's probably a good thing. You know, do you believe that the vaccine stops the spread? And again, just stumped, has never thought about it, never looked into it, never read about it, but, you know, assumes that right. the... You have to assume that the vaccine stops the spread in order to support vaccine passports. I mean, it's an assumption you have to make because if you really believe that the vaccine, if you believe the truth, if you believe the facts that the vaccine does not stop the spread, you've got, there's no logical reason to force 100% of the people to get this. Well, I think that's why some of the narrative is collapsing because, you know, people that were former believers that did their duty as they saw it for the greater good have discovered that, uh, well, actually, they didn't do it enough, and they're going to have to do it again and again and again and again. And uh, they're saying, okay, I'm I'm getting off this boat. Anyways, uh, we wanted to switch gears completely at this Some point. very scary totalitarian legislation that's just right. passed in Canada. Yeah, let's go over to that, the conversion therapy bill. That's uh, something that we had talked about on this podcast in the past. Uh, we had Marty Moore on last year talking about it. Go on, give us the lowdown. Not good news. They've passed the bill. This is uh, th this is very bad news on very many levels. Uh, previously, we had the bill C six, which uh, which banned conversion therapy. Now, when you talk about conversion therapy, uh, and there's a very good column by uh, Linda Slobodian writing in the Western Standard, and uh, she does a very good summary of of what the bill is about. The prior incarnation, Bill C-6, was opposed by 62 conservative MPs. So that's what, roughly a little bit less than a fifth of, of the House of Commons or uh, somewhere between a fifth and a sixth of, of the members of parliament were against it. And when you talk about conversion therapy, it, it brings up images or, or memories of things like electric shock, ice baths, force feeding, food, food, food deprivation, vomit-inducing drugs exorcisms and degrading rituals. So there's been some of that in the past where there's been attempts at a forced conversion of uh, a forced change of sexual orientation. Now, what's interesting is these, these practices are already either criminal or they're totally banned by the uh, professional associations of registered psychologists and associations of counselors and you know, Not the, electroshock, though. I had a relative undergo that for other purposes. And, for other uh, purposes. Okay. Yeah. So um, – Worked well, actually. Good. So far, yeah. Um, but there, there, there's that whole issue of force and duress and, and the right of an adult to decide his or her own form of treatment. And in a way, it's related to this you know, vaccine choice and I was my body say. Of choice. Right, it's, it, it's about the adult being voluntarily able to to choose the counseling of their own choice. Well, now uh, with this rushed through the House of Commons by way of unanimous consent, because contrary to what was discussed in a Conservative Party caucus meeting, one of the Conservative MPs, I think it was Rob Moore, rose in the House of Commons to move that the um, Bill C-4 be granted unanimous consent. And so nobody objected to that. I guess the, the none of the 62 conservative MPs that had voted against the prior incarnation of Bill C-6 were willing to stand up and speak out, or perhaps those 62 people were absent. I don't know. 
I'm having lunch with one of them next week, but I'll, I'll ask some more questions. Uh, they're very upset with the Conservative Party leader for, for pulling this stunt, although I would ask them, why didn't any of the 62? It only takes one person to deny unanimous consent to, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to something. But, yeah. So none of the 62 stood up to, uh, to oppose it, so it rushed through. And then unanimous consent in the Senate. Uh, again, it just baffles me. Uh, it must be that, you know, caught up in ideology and too terrified to speak out against something that uh, th- that they feel is bad. And so, so now we've got legislation on the books. Let me read, um, let me read some uh, parts of it. So a bill C4 that has now been passed into law in Canada criminalizes conversations between consenting adults. Because if you want to change your, uh, this is not just sexual orientation, but if you want to change your gender identity or if you want to change your uh, sexual behavior, maybe you're in a relationship, but you've got a problem with uh, with pornography or with uh, infidelity, you want to change your sexual behavior. It actually creates a distinction. Canadians, heterosexual Canadians that are not LGBTQ they can basically get the counseling of their choice. But if you are, um, if you're part of the LGBTQ uh, community, then your freedoms are limited because let's say you have a guy who has been, it felt like he was a woman trapped in a man's body and has been living as a woman, dressing as a woman. Maybe he's had surgery. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's taken drugs. Maybe he's not. But comes to a certain point in his life where he feels that there's something fundamentally wrong with his life, and he's starting to question and doubt whether he's really pursuing the right path. And he's starting to ask himself questions about potentially embracing his biological gender. It is now illegal for that man, an an adult, to get counseling uh, to have a discussion about making changes or potentially making changes and abandoning his identification with with being a woman and abandoning uh you know the drugs the, the the hormone therapy if he's on that and taking steps towards embracing his birth gender that is now illegal in Canada yeah but it seems to me it would be really easy to get around because you know people can just declare that they're something else for the purposes of this conversation until i walk out that door you know but isn't that wondering. sad? Isn't that sad in a free country that you have to behave in a way to deceive the government uh, because you're you're, you're going to be punished for a crime because of seeking out the kind of counseling that you want? Well, I don't know. I mean, I personally looked at this legislation, or you know, I read about it, and I thought, well, this looks like just sort of ways to entrap the religious. That's all it really and is. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's the main target. Uh, certainly, mm. this has a big impact on. And there are there are same sex attracted people in Canada and all over the world who are devout practicing Muslims, uh, Christians, Jews, what have you, and they want to deal with their same sex attractions in a way to, to live out their faith and practice their faith, and so they want to, uh, if their religion teaches that there's no sexual activity outside of the marriage of a man and a woman, there are same-sex attracted Canadians who are devout, voluntary followers of a particular faith tradition, if they want to go talk to their priest, their rabbi, their pastor, their imam about their same-sex attractions and how they're uh, dealing with that and what, what they're doing or not doing, those conversations can be potentially criminal if the uh, faith leader does not subscribe to and adhere to in that counseling session the the LG, the, the the political ideology that this bill is imposing. Yeah, well, that's like you say. That's why I thought it was just sort of legislation to allow people to play gotcha. Well, you know, here's here's another distinction. If a uh, if a straight guy is uh, addicted to pornography and is unhappy with that, he can go and get help from anybody who he wants. But if an LGBTQ person is looking at pornography, which presumably pornography featuring members of the same gender, then that is same-sex sexual behavior and cannot seek help with that. So in Calgary, for example, within the past year, year and a half, we had uh, municipal 
ban on conversion therapy, which oh, is yes. political virtue signaling and grandstanding because municipalities have no say over the criminal code, nor do they have any say over what the you know Alberta Association of Psychologists has to say about you know what is or is not good treatment. So it was purely political. But there were LGBTQ people, uh, a good number of them, that are also religious, and they testified about you know this uh, the ban and the negative impact on them. Right. Yes, I recall that that was the subject of our show with Marty Moore uh, last year. Yeah, and it was that uh, city councillor Gian Carlo. We had played tapes of him heavily virtue signaling. What is potentially the worst part of this is it makes it illegal for parents to get the treatment that they deem best for their own children when their own children are struggling with gender dysphoria. Now, as as background information, uh, once upon a time, a Dr. Ken Zucker, I don't know if it's pronounced Zucker or Zucker, but it's spelled uh, Z-U-C-K-E-R, Dr. Ken Zucker worked for the Center for Addictions and Mental Health in Toronto for decades, Right. Yeah. was and still is a highly respected professional, uh, not a, to my knowledge, not a religious man, uh, kind of a secular Jew, non-practicing Jew. And he helped uh, hundreds, possibly thousands of children that were struggling with gender dysphoria. And by the way, you know, as part of his secular credentials, and I feel the need to raise that because uh, people are always trying to, you know, make this about uh, fundamentalist Christianity and praying the gay away and that sort of thing. This uh, Dr. Ken Zucker is somebody who's got no problems with or no objection to uh, to homosexuality. In fact, he said that a lot of his clients they ended up gay and and same sex attracted. But when they were struggling with with gender dysphoria, where the the girl feels that she's a boy trapped inside a girl's body and feels like she's really a boy and she wants to be a boy or vice versa, the the boy feels like he's actually a girl trapped inside a a girl's body. And so he helped these kids come to terms with their biological – with their birth gender. And that was his practice. And in his experience, and I don't recall whether it was 80% or 90% or 95%, but just the, the vast majority of kids, they go through a phase of um, feeling disconnected from their birth gender. And in 80 to 95% of the cases, by the time these kids are 18 and they've gone through puberty, they have embraced, embraced their birth gender. Many of those kids, when they're 18 or, or 20 or older, they are same-sex attracted people. However, they can avoid a lifetime of hormonal therapy and uh, and drugs. Right. And so and we also have the Swedish example where the um, we mentioned this on a previous program that that even after fully transitioning, so the people that had had you know the full surgery, uh, their suicide rate was seventeen times or seven times higher or three times higher than the national average. So, you know, going all the way with with the surgeries and with the ongoing permanent lifelong drug treatments is not leading these people to any kind of happiness when you've got that high of a suicide rate. And this is in a country that is very, very progressive and very accepting of everything LGBTQ and trans and so on and so forth. And still, even in a country like Sweden, um, this, this this is the end result. So Bill C-4 makes it illegal for parents that if their son or daughter is experiencing gender dysphoria, you know, unhappiness, dissatisfaction, disconnection from from their, their birth gender, it is illegal to get their child any kind of therapy or counseling of the type that Dr. Ken Zucker provided successfully for many decades in Toronto. That is now illegal. And so this is a big attack on parental rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the ability of parents to love and care for their own children uh, because their parents cannot take their kids to get help from somebody like Ken Zucker that's going to help the child to go through uh, puberty and to reintegrate with their birth gender. Right. And that's why it is against the charter and it is challengeable just because a bunch of MPs in Ottawa virtue signal in the middle of a pandemic – you know, that uh, this is what they want. It doesn't make it constitutional, right? Tell me I'm right. You're right. It's uh, 
Unfortunately, the law, as long as it's enforced, is going to have a chilling effect. It is likely to influence what the uh, provincial regulatory bodies have as their policies, right? Because every every province has its own um, association of registered psychologists or uh, and or like like bodies for for counselors for different forms of therapy. They're going to be influenced by the fact that it's criminal code offense to help. Uh, to, to help children and help LGBTQ Canadians to to get the counseling, either of their own choosing or of their parents' choosing, and and again, this is all without defining the Bill C four has now become law does not target harmful practices, but rather it targets the choices and beliefs of people concerning sexuality and gender. Right, but my point was before. Okay, there was a political battle going on. The political battle is now over. And now the Justice Center steps forward, or is about to step forward, because it goes to legal battles now. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And I'm I'm saying though that it's it's sad that in order to have a good in order to have a good case to challenge this very terrible and and obviously <clears throat> very violating of our, our charter uh, charter section seven right to life, liberty, and security of the person, the charter freedom of expression. Charter, uh, freedom of conscience and religion. The only way to get this before the courts is if you have a pastor, a priest, a rabbi, an imam, a professional psychologist, a, a registered therapist, a professional counselor, uh, getting criminally prosecuted. And, and only then will you have the fact scenario to then have a debate before the courts that never took place in either house of parliament. It, no, it's, I granted, it, yes. I, it's I horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. And it takes it's gonna be and then you have another reality is that that the person that gets prosecuted might not be the best poster child for your court case, but maybe that's the only one that you're stuck with, right? Because your court cases are very heavily influenced by what kind of client do you have, what kind of fact scenario do you have. So now we've got this this terror. Uh, of criminal prosecution that has descended like uh, like a cold wet blanket or descended like a fog into the uh, <laughs> the private <laughs> well, no, descended I mean, but- into the the, the counseling offices and the, uh, the the psychologist therapy spaces and the private spaces of religious leaders. You've got this you've got this cold fog of of this law that's going to be around for for months or years. Uh, before you get a good case arising that you could take to court, and then in court you're not guaranteed a good outcome. Right. Well, I hate to break it to you, buddy, but in some ways it's very sad the Justice Center exists because it is you know, in a in a perfect world. Of course, we wouldn't need this, but there I, you I are. would I would like the Justice Center to not exist. You know, base because I need the work. No, because the uh, I could find something else to do. <laughs> yeah, I know what uh, you're saying. You know, if if we had. First and foremost, the Canadian population, and then you know, secondarily, all the politicians and judges who really respected uh, constitutional rights and freedoms. Then we would not need an organization like the Justice Center. And so, I take this opportunity to again thank our approximately ten thousand donors all over Canada. And whether you're giving us fifty dollars a year, or five hundred dollars a year, or five thousand a year, or fifty thousand a year, you know, we've got. We've got. We're grateful for all the donors, uh, whatever your giving amount is. But every single donation, uh, including the smaller ones, make a huge difference. Uh, we continue to hire more lawyers. Uh, we started the year with, I think, eight staff lawyers, and uh, by by February of 2022, we will probably be at about 16 lawyers. So. Ah. Probably a good time to mention, circling back to the beginning of the show, that the uh, lawyer taking that doctor's case forward in Alberta is one of the new hires, as a matter of fact, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Eva Chipiak, uh, based in Edmonton, has joined us in the past month or two. Um, we've had another lawyer in Ontario, Haddam Kerr, is, um, it has, uh, has joined us and... Uh, Rob Kittrich and uh, others in Ontario that have come on board uh, recently. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's sad that we we exist, but we do good work. In, in fact, uh, all six of all six of our Ontario lawyers are lawyers that have joined us within the past twelve months. 
Right on. So, growing well, organization. We actually have, uh, we should get more news out of Ontario soon too. So we've actually been sort of focused on Alberta quite a bit. That's just because we read the local papers. We're both in Alberta. But there's a lot going on out there. So maybe we uh, have to force ourselves to uh, to look uh, a little farther afield to see what our colleagues are doing elsewhere. Or your colleagues. I'm just the producer of the show. Anyways, at this point, I think it's a good time to thank you, John, for uh, guiding us through episode 43 of Justice with John Carpe. I hope to speak to you next week. Take care. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Have a great week. Take care.